0: Hi, I'm Thomas Hansen. I'm a filmmaker and content creator focused on adventures, outdoors and travels, and great stories. You can see my work on YouTube. The the channel is called Thea Hansen.
1: Hi, I'm Simon Josie, and welcome to the podcast. As this is the first episode, perhaps I can start off by giving you some background about it and how we got to this place. So I've been thinking about creating a podcast centred on motorcycling filmmakers for about six months. Not surprisingly, motorcycle filmmaking is an interest of mine. And back in the Northern Hemisphere winter of 2020-2021, I was a relatively new immigrant to Germany. I was stuck in my basement studying German, but I was also looking forward to buying a motorcycle in the coming spring. You know, as is typical these days, when any of us want to research something, I found myself trawling through YouTube, watching a large variety of motorcycling video content. And after a while, I noticed I was more drawn to some videos and not to others, and I was wondering, why was that? I started to think about this and wondered how the filmmakers created their content, what techniques they used, and the challenges they had to overcome. My interest only grew when I finally got my own bike, and uh, started dabbling in the era of motorcycle filmmaking too. Fast forward to about six months ago, when my initial thoughts about this podcast started to form. I work as an audio podcast technical producer, so I knew I could put together a podcast technically. But I'm usually the person behind the mixing desk, not behind the mic. So I thought, I need a host or an interviewer. But, you know, where am I going to find someone like that who has the same interest and an enthusiasm as me and totally on board with this fully non-commercial, passion-driven project. So I sat on this idea for months, until I finally decided, well, perhaps I could host, and just sort of get away with it by minimising my voice. After all, the idea of the podcast is to hear the voices of the filmmakers, not me. And so here we are today. And before we get to the chat with my first guest, Thomas Hansen from Bergen, Norway, I want to do some expectation management. I fully intend to break one of the, the, the golden rules of podcasting and that I won't be releasing episodes on a regular basis. As I mentioned, this is a passion project of mine, not a commercial undertaking, and thus I have to work on it in my spare time. And it takes quite a bit of work to find and communicate with the guests, to undertake the necessary research, record the interviews, and then produce and package up each episode. If this is something that you can live with, well, then I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, either in your your favorite podcast player or on YouTube, where I will also be posting episodes. New episodes will automatically appear in your feed when they're released. Okay, so now let's get on to my talk with Thomas. Hi Thomas, welcome and thanks for joining me on this episode of The Real Riders Podcast. You've been posting videos on your YouTube channel since 2013. Uh, You currently have over 150 videos posted, plus a handful of YouTube shorts. As well as travel videos, you also make videos covering motorcycle gear reviews, camping gear reviews, and how-to videos. Mainly focus on video post-production techniques. I'd like to start off by asking about your origins in motorcycle filmmaking. what came first an interest in motorcycling or an interest in video or filmmaking?
0: That's a really good question to be honest uh, I think I started out uh, with uh, photography when I was uh, back in the um, starting out at school we had a dark room we were developing films and taking pictures I think that's where it started. And when I was uh, 20 or 21 years old, I could take the license for motorcycling. And then I soon discovered that I was kind of like a traveler. I really enjoyed getting around with ease, exploring new places, uh, towns, roads, and uh, whatnot. And really nice nature and mountains and rivers and all that kind of stuff is, has always captivated me in a sense that I always wanted to take a picture or share it in a way. So it started out with probably first photography, then motorcycling, and then I started to do uh, blogs or write-ups or travel stories with pictures and words. And from there on out, I got a friend who saw that I had a creative mind and asked me if he bought me a camera, would I try to do it on YouTube as well? And I was just laughing at the idea and said, Yeah, sure, give me a camera, I'll do it. And a couple of days later he was at my doorstep with a camera. So I kinda had to do <laughs> something about that.
1: And so it it sounds to me like you're you're largely self-taught, is is that right?
0: Yeah, that's correct. Everything I'd done has kind of been self-taught.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so so tell us about your your motorcycles a little bit that you've made the the videos with like i've seen that you've you've had a, a number of different uh, motorcycles but you know when you're choosing a motorcycle what are you actually looking for for when it comes to supporting your content creation
0: oh all my bikes up till until now, I think, has just been about me trying to find the perfect bike. And everybody could probably uh, uh, agree that there is no perfect bike. It's always uh, kind of a dynamic thing that evolves compared to what your needs are in a certain time. So I started out with a heavy adventure bike. And then, then I slowly went the path down to a lighter and more agile adventure bike who I could bring onto the gravel roads and have fun on uh, trails and stuff like that and I always had in mind that I needed to bring my equipment because I always been a hiker and uh, I loved camping so I wanted to bring that part of my life with me when I was out on a motorcycle and doing my kind of things and uh, I think I never actually been doing choose my bike out from my content i always choose my bike first and then i make content around that it doesn't matter what bike i have that's not the reason i do it if that makes sense
1: sure um do you find i mean you mentioned favoring lighter bikes for for real off-roading does that place limitations on the on the amount of gear um, particularly the amount of video making gear or film shooting gear that you can take with you
0: uh yeah in some regards uh it made it harder to bring with you a little bit of extra luxury items, but uh, I have I, I mainly use three cameras. I have the uh, action camera on my face to do point of view uh, filming. And then I have a Sony that I bring with me to put on the tripod and do all the B-rolls. And then I have a drone. And all that could fit into a tank bag really easy. So... It doesn't matter too much on the size of the bike in that regard, but uh, the riding on longer adventures with a smaller adventure bike has been quite painful because of uh, the comfort, the lack of uh, fuel range, and uh, a lot of other stuff. So. I went down to a KTM 690, and that was a little bit uh, hard on body and uh, whatnot. So I went up to the KTM 790, and that was kind of the jack-of-all-trade. It it's still a little bit heavy, but it's perfect in between, between a big adventure bike and a lighter adventure bike. And of course, proper off-road and really technical stuff It's not allowed in Norway or in Scandinavia in general. So... There's not that much uh, you need a really light adventure bike for,
1: right? Right. Um, in, in terms of filmmaking technology, what developments that we've seen have actually been critical in enabling you to to make the videos and the films that you make? And and by this, I'm I'm being quite wide ranging in my question because I'm thinking you know we have these days very compact. And rugged, high-resolution cameras. We have drones. Mm. We have computer-based, non-linear editing. I know it's been there for a long time, but, you know, compared to what people did 50 years ago in, in trying to make oh, yeah. these these types of films, it's really difficult. Um, but also the fact that we have YouTube, which we can post to and distribute our content without having to go through through third parties. So, so coming back to the question, what do you think has, has made the biggest difference to you and what you're able to do?
0: I do think that uh, the stabilization, the the modern stabilization, and uh, possibility to connect easy, uh, good audio to my cameras, like an external shotgun mic, and actually a drone, I would say, because that is kind of like a cheat code. In uh, because you have so not to get that bird perspective, in when you are riding into scenic uh, places or beautiful fjords or high mountains, you kind of put that little bit extra spice on the footage you you sell more of a dream more than just uh, having a good camera technical camera but again like you said we have all those compact cameras and uh, many people would say that it doesn't matter what camera you choose and i would argue against that because it has all to do with what gear you use but uh, you really need to learn the gear before you understand what gear you need and then upgrade but that's a long discussion but kind of audio and the stabilization, because uh, when I started out the first time, it was back in 2013, then there was those old GoPros into the kind of uh, boxes you had to close and the audio was terrible. The, it was shaky. It was absolutely horrible to watch. And. When the new stabilization came to the GoPros, it just revolutionized the motorcycle footage. Everything was so smooth and so much easier to watch. And of course you were able to get better audio.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just uh, sort of the last question in this sort of technology area, what's the next piece of kit that you plan to buy? What's missing from your your gear locker at the moment?
0: (laughs) Oh, that is also a hard question. Most would probably argue that I have way too much equipment already. But uh, I do think that I want to upgrade my drone. I have a license to fly a drone. It's quite uh, strictly regulated here in the EU. But I I really want to upgrade to the newest uh, Mavic Air 3, I think, because that has waypoints so I can uh, put in a certain path uh, of where I want to drone to fly. And then I can kind of set it up, rig it and just make it fly. And then I can ride uh, more technical stuff without being so focused on controlling the drones well. So I do think dr- a new drone would be the first thing I would invest in.
1: Moving into a slightly different area now. So what's impressed me? I, I, I have to be honest and say, I haven't watched all the videos that you've made, but I think I've I've watched a good sample of the films that you've put up. And one thing that really interests me is your evolution as a filmmaker. Um, Thank you. You know, it, it's obvious to me that you've learned a lot over the years, particularly when it comes to building story. If, if we look back, you, you mentioned you made your first video in, in 2013 and then I think there was a bit of a gap and then you appeared again in something like 2019 or something. And even mm. then it seemed that you'd it already made a big jump in In your ambition, should we say. Yeah. In December 2021, you posted a video to YouTube titled Seven Steps to Make Better Motorcycle Videos on YouTube. In that video, you told viewers that before you capture any footage, you sit down and plan out a video, starting with a list of keywords and building a story from that list. I want to ask, is that applicable for every type of video you make? You know, your your travel videos, your gear reviews, your how-to videos. Is, Is that your approach for everything?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I do think that uh, one of the most underrated parts of making a good video online these days are to build a story or a story around it. Uh, Some of my travel videos are based in the same principle, but because you are on a trip, you're trying to capture some of the moments that uh, happen when you are on the trip. But every day is a story. You have beginning the morning, you have something happening in the middle of the day, and you have the end which is when you come to camp uh, at the night, rigging up and setting everything. And that is kind of like the, the golden rule for every day I'm on, on a trip. I try to have morning, midday, and evening. And then I try to fill in between. And of course, you try to build a story. And every time I'm riding down a long road before a new curve, it's kind of like I try to uh, see what I can plan for this day or next day. So I'm, every time I'm riding and I'm getting a little bit bored, I try to plan ahead the next step in that video, though. Yeah. One one
1: thing I noticed, or, and and you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but e- even in those early ones, and I'm I'm thinking of the the Sweden Tet videos, the Trans Euro Trail, which was perhaps not not quite the very first ambitious series of, of travel videos you've made, but but close to the beginning. Even then, mm. I got the feeling that you you were starting to to, to build these stories. Even if you had some limitations and, and you mentioned some of the limitations or I've, I've seen you write about them, which is that you said, oh, I was traveling with a group for some of the time and not everyone wants to stop every 15 minutes while I set up the camera and, and rewrite mm. over this little bit that I just, you know, want, want to get a shot of. Um, but I, I still felt at the very beginning you were like, oh, I, I caught this nice bit of trip, I need to include this, I need to include, I need to include a little bit of all these bits of the day. But then as this time has gone on, you've thought, no, what actually has to drive the video is the story. And yeah, sure, that bit of the road was a nice bit of video and the timing was nice and the sound, whatever, but I'm going to leave it out because it's not actually contributing to the story. Do you feel yourself that you've progressed and, and developed, evolved uh, in that way with in terms of your storytelling?
0: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. It's, it, everything comes down to practice. The more you practice, the more you do it, the more you kind of get accustomed to the thought process of how to build a story. And um, I f- feel like I'm getting better at storytelling as uh, I develop my editing skills, because I do understand more What to shoot, what to look for, when to uh, ride and leave out stuff, what is important, what can kind of captivate you as a viewer. And I always try to make it relatable. Uh, If you ride down the same road that I have ridden, you can see some of the highlights I have focused on. So you can recognize going down the same path. You will recognize a lot of the shots I made in the video. And I think that is important as well. So uh, it feels more Uh, connected to the viewer and of course i'm trying to build sometimes you kind of build a little bit around a story making you know a great story is never completely true and the same goes in video a really good story is not completely true so you kind of make a couple of twists just to get the um, audience to relate more in a way sometimes you have to encourage for a little bit of uh, overreacting and sometimes you can take away stuff because yeah and of course in the beginning i shot everything i thought everything was important i just uh, my camera was going all uh, all day long and i had so much footage. and i uh, i think one of the most important part is to understand what you can throw away and what you need and that kind of develops and you get better so when you first started you know filming did you have any awareness
1: or any idea that actually the editing was going to be so important
0: uh, no, not, not not in that regard. I I've had a, a little bit of idea because I have been doing uh, photography and editing in that regard. And I didn't understand how important lighting, background, foreground, composition, and all that was, and uh, how easy you could lead the audience into looking at a certain f- uh, part of the picture. Because, but then I only had one frame to kind of capture your attention. Now you have... 25 frames each second. So it's kind uh, of, you, you can say, yeah, I had a little bit of ID, but still um, the importance of being a good editor is way, way, way more important than people think. And I think that makes the difference between the guys who really does it and the the people that just jump off the train because it's so much work.
1: Yeah, Yeah, ab- absolutely. Becoming an editor, what has that specifically taught you as a someone shooting footage
0: uh, it, it have taught me a lot about showing what you're talking about or what you it's kind of like if i want you to be part of a certain aspect like me putting in a gpx file to my gps uh, unit it's kind of like you have to show that in a couple of different angles you kind of you need to suck them in and the same is if i want to set up my tent i need to build up with different angles so people can understand and relate to the work without boring them so you're kind of putting out down the tent pegs putting in the poles just like a fraction of a second you just get those glimps and then you kind of let you let the audience build a story on their own just uh, with a couple of a second of uh, footage instead of showing 10 minutes uh that it takes to put up a tent so it It kind of learned me to uh, be much more mystical with the the footage I use to not overtell. Oversharing is kind of not good in video. You need to kind of keep a little bit of mystery so you you can make a little bit of the story yourself.
1: Yeah, I think one thing I I can cite back to you an example which I thought was quite or a couple of examples. The first one was, I think on one of your early camping trips, you did this, but you did it in a slightly uh, crude way, which was that you took a video of you making a cup of coffee and you took it from different angles the different steps, but you sort of almost felt like you had to put video of all the steps. But now when you do it, you actually can do what maybe takes a minute. You'll do it in five seconds and you'll convey the mm. message to the viewers. Hey, I just made a cup of coffee, but you don't have to watch me do every single step. Yeah, is that something that you're consciously aware of that you've you've moved to that sort of level of sophistication?
0: Yeah, um, I, uh, a little bit is uh, kind of in the back of my head. Just I'm not thinking about it because it's been uh, kind of like uh, when you re- develop the skill, you kind of do it without thinking too much about it. But I, I do think it's uh, much more intentional than I uh, think of myself because I are always trying to uh, like not tell too much it's really easy to okay i um, want to make a cup of coffee so i need to uh, to make every step so kind of uh, giving the impression of the viewer is a little bit dumb but you really need to make the uh, viewer think that they are really smart in a way yeah so when you kind of show just a couple instead of showing 10 angles you only show three angles and make a little bit of that you made story with my uh, footage in a way yeah yeah i think that is yeah yeah, it's a little bit hard to explain. No, no, but, no. Uh, I
1: well, at least I understand. <laughs> uh, the the other example I was going to cite, which was a, a little bit humorous, and again, it, it's from a very recent video that you've posted in Norway. You, you're coming down a road, and and the the way the the camera is set up, in the foreground is a as a locked gate, and then you're coming down down towards the yeah, locked gate, it, yeah. and suddenly it's setting up this 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 question in the viewer's mind: Oh, what's going to happen here? What's and and you you cut a, diff- a few other shots. I think one of the locked gate and 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 so you build up the story, and then uh, at the end you sort of have a bit of a piece to camera where you saying uh, explain that oh it's actually private land and and I wish I mm. you know I'd like to go on this, this land but I but I can't. But but just there was a bit of humor in the timing and building up the mystery of of what's going on here. And again, I thought that was. Um, a very nice piece of storytelling. Visually, again, it was suggestive. It didn't spell everything out. It was just, yeah, it was it was very nicely done. I thought it was. And was that what you were deliberately looking to to try and do with that sequence?
0: Yeah, I was. I was having that in my mind. That I I know that there's a lot of. I get a lot of questions uh, from my viewers or uh, from recent videos, uh, and those kind of pile up in a way. And I keep them uh, uh, memorized in my head. So when I'm out traveling and I come across Places I know where I can include uh, questions I get often. I try to kind of build something around it, and sometimes it's kind of funny because I sometimes I do it without being aware of it myself. So when I'm back editing, I find footage that oh I can build a story of this. It's kind of like I, I I didn't remember that I had a really good plan for it, but when I see the footage afterwards, I see that oh there's a complete story here. So uh, maybe it's because of my level of expertise or my uh, kind of been training for this so long now it kind of I, I when i see a moment i grab it without uh, actually recognizing it uh, completely so um, um yeah, it, it, it kind of requires me a little bit of thought to uh, i can't really tell you if i do it deliberately or it's kind of like when you when you are a photographer, you you look for that that one composition, that one fraction of a second for lighting and whatnot, and it's really hard to explain. But when you when you see it, you see it, and I feel like that is like with it in videography as well, because I I really need to go around and see is this a good composition? No, it's not. I need to move around to another place, and so yeah, and and, and that's what I find
1: always so fascinating about video making is that. When you progress from just sticking the camera on the front of your helmet and driving along down a road to going, well, actually, that's a little boring. How do I tell a story that's not boring in that way? What do I do? And so, again, one thing that that you seem to pick up quite early was this need to, to capture the variety of shots. I imagine that takes a lot of time and effort. So, what do you do to try and make that as efficient as possible like what what are your tricks of the trade for how you make that process efficient
0: yeah um, that's uh, that 's a hard one uh, Let me see uh, just uh, the beginning of the question uh, one of the things that led me to going from a point of view camera towards uh, setting up all the different angles was that i 'm really Uh, self-critical i always go back and watch my content over and over again and try to learn from my own mistakes and trying to make that better in my next production i have a rule for myself i always need to make something better for the next video every time and um, when i was going through youtube there was so much in my opinion rubbish uh, that was put out just to for the fun for the sake of it and i thought that i want to do this in this niche. I really need to stand out in a way. I'm kind of like the small fish in the big pond, so I really need to do something that others don't. And how can I do that? How can I achieve to be different? I can put in extra effort. I can do that little bit extra that others don't. And I think I have done something there that people can relate to and really appreciate. And when it comes to being effective, it comes to building up a great system for uh, I'm, I work as a firefighter so everything on the engine is quite uh, structured and where you put things and everything has its uh, certain place and the same is with my setup when my bike is neatly packed in a certain way so I know where my camera is I know how easy it is to take up point and shoot and get the great uh, footage and I have my tripod right then uh, behind my back so it's easy to go off the bike take it out set it up go back and forth, go back, put it down again, and then get going. So it's kind of like you you really learn a working habit that is efficient, and then it's become like your second nature. I, I, I don't recognize how many times I put up the tripod. It's just a part of the trip for me, in a way. Do you, do you have any funny
1: stories about this? Because, you know, I'm here in Germany, and Germany is quite large, but yeah. even in the middle of nowhere, suddenly there's a German appears out of nowhere. I'm just wondering, do you encounter problems with setting up your camera on the tripod? Do you, do you drive off down the road and then come back and then, then suddenly find some member of the public is, is looking at your camera <laughs> or, or playing with it or, you know? Uh,
0: no, it's, it's been uh, quite, to be honest, there's not been many issues with that. And I, I've I, I always seen my camera as a tool to do a job. I don't see it as a high valuable thing. I have insurance on it. And if somebody nicks it or somebody tips it over, or it gets broken, I get a new one. It's kind of like if you are afraid to use your tools, you will not manage to capture footage like uh, I do or some other people do. But the only thing I have one time, I actually got a person that picked up my camera. And that was just because he thought I forgot it. And he ran after me trying to, hey, you forgot your camera. So <laughs> it was like, oh, no, I had to go back and explain to him that I, it was intentional. I was trying to film that I was going away from a lunch spot I had picked out. So, and he was, oh, yeah, sorry. And we had a good laugh and a good story about it. So, yeah, yeah but that that's only happened once or twice, I think. And you've, you've actually been quite ambitious because
1: it's one thing to, to sort of hide your camera in the, in the forest in the middle of nowhere. But, you know, I've seen you actually, you must have put the camera like in the middle of a town or something. And and driven oh, yeah. into, into the town, or even quite impressively, I think you've um, done some B-roll inside the supermarket when you've been shopping. So so obviously yeah. <laughs> the, the, the supermarket's been cooperative, or the, or you've been so sneaky about it that they haven't seen you do that.
0: Uh, a couple of times, it's sneaky, but in in Norway, as a general rule, you you kind of ask before you, uh, or you have to put out the faces so you can't recognize them. Uh, but when you are in a public space, you uh, should expect that you can get filmed so yeah there's some tricky rules around that but normally i go into the shop and i find okay here is something i can make out of it and then i try to just ask the owner of the store or the people in the register to say if it's okay that i take a couple of uh, video shots in your store here in norway that's normally no problem at all and uh, i I find that the more um how to say the more obvious you do it the more people let it uh, be, because if you try to put it in a sneaky place, everybody's, you get everybody's attention and everybody starts staring into the lens and uh, and then you ruin the shots. So I try to just be quite obvious with it.
1: One thing that we see on YouTube is a lot of bikers have multicam setups in terms of the, the action cam. So they have yeah. maybe a, a, a helmet mounted or chest mounted, and then they'll have maybe one or two other cameras mounted on the bike. That's not something that you appear to have done occasionally. I think you hold your camera out on on the, the left-hand side um, as you're driving along, but th- that seems to have been a deliberate decision on your part. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that is uh, quite deliberate because I've, I find the 360 cams and all that uh, stuff, uh, I call them personally lazy cams. It comes to down to people are using kind of just trying to change the perspective a little bit and they just can use the same footage and uh, uh, for me i feel like have you ever gone to the cinema or you ever gone to watch a movie where you see a 360 camera being used and they're just framing reframing it for me making a story for me taking pictures for me doing everything is more like capture that moment for you to be part of it if if you the 360 cameras can be genius for what it is but it's so easy to overuse, and I feel like everybody's doing it, so it, it's not special anymore. So I feel like you, you, you're not doing yourself any favors, and I think it, it uh, gives a little bit of lack of quality in the overall production if you use that. In my view, I do understand people have done it with great success, and I have completely give people credit for that, but uh, I don't find it uh, interesting to use. I find if it, it's easy to get lazy if you're getting down that path.
1: Yeah. Um, so drone footage is something that has become, I mean, it's everywhere now and it, and it seems to have gone hand in hand with the development of, of motorcycle filmmaking or video making and, and what we see on YouTube. Um, mm. when, when did you first start using a, uh, a
0: drone? I think it, when the first Mavic Mini came out, I started uh, playing around with drones because it was so small you could get uh, around some certain rules and of course it was really tiny and easy to bring with you and uh, but the reception of the controller and you lost signal it was really poor when it was a little bit windy outside so uh, here in norwegian condition with all the winds going down the mountains and stuff that was just terrible to use so uh, but I, I quickly understand that to <laughs> To be different, to stand out in the crowd, you need to have um, you, you need an advantage. You need something that others don't. And I feel like uh, here in Norway, with the uh, uh, exceptional uh, mountains and uh, nature, having a drone, it's kind of like a cheat code. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: it's a bit of a no-brainer, really, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, in terms of, of drone footage, what practical Issues do you encounter when when creating drone footage, um, particularly in the places that you you like to ride? Ie mainly in, in Norway.
0: Uh, oh, there, there's a lot of strict rules when it comes to national parks in Norway. Uh, as long as you don't fly over traffic, it's allowed. But you cannot get too far away from the main road. So if you start flying out uh, to the left or the right, what what not? You you kind of breaking the rules. And it's a little bit like the speed limit. Everybody knows that going over the speed limit is illegal, but uh, most of people go 10 or 20 above uh, anyway. And I I find it's like that when it comes to drone footage as well. A lot of people taking uh, unnecessary chances in some regards, but uh, I try to keep it because I I put it out on YouTube. It's so easy to incriminate yourself. So really try to be... Uh, strict to staying with the rules and of course some places i've done all the research i thought it was allowed and later i saw oh it wasn't allowed after all so I, then i just uh, trashed the footage i just delete it i don't uh, put it out lo- online and some in some places actually i have a subscription stuff on in inla- online you can get uh, like stock footage and uh, there's a lot of drone footage for norway so some of the footage uh, i can download for free there and uh, then it's not on me.
1: Right, right. I noticed that you have started doing some tracking with the while you're riding the bike while using the drone.
0: No, I don't use tracking at all because it's so uh, it's so um, dodgy. It always go ah. where you don't supposed to. So I I have the controller on my handlebar. Yeah. And I ride with my right hand and I fly the drone with my left hand. So I kind of fly the drone with uh, just one finger.
1: Oh, so you're actually physically controlling it. You're not Flying using myself, the. the... Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay.
0: But uh, in, in the rules, it says you should always have a visual of the drone at all times. But I always fly uh, like that over areas. I know there is not people I can and dive down and hurt is uh, i always be i really careful where, where i choose to fly the drone like that yeah and it's um, a part of it it's kind of like i have many many hours of playstation <laughs> from my youth so it's kind of like it's kind of second nature to fly the drone uh, on a controller like that for me
1: yeah i mean i'm sure you've also seen the many videos from these guys and out in the, the rural areas of the united states flying you know, and they clearly are using tracking. And, um, mm-hmm. But you know, these guys are in the middle of nowhere—I I don't think in, in Europe it's so easy to do that kind of um, video footage. No, yeah.
0: But of course, the, 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 the new tracking system, the new tracking uh, algorithms or whatnot, uh, and especially the Skydio drone from America it's kind of like the Tesla of drones. The tracking there is unbelievable. But uh, for, on my uh, drone, personal drone, the tracking uh, is a little bit insufficient it's it's not that good so but uh, if i upgrade my drone now the tracking is much better so i would probably use it more sure
1: based on what you've you've currently published to youtube many of the travel based episodes are less than 15 minutes and quite a few of them are less than 10 minutes your gear mm-hmm. reviews and your how i do it kind of videos they typically are less than 15 minutes and and also many of them are, are less than f- 10 minutes What are the the factors driving your decisions about video episode lengths?
0: Oh, I don't have a specific uh, number on that in that regard. I'm trying to keep it under 15 minutes if I can, but I let the content choose how long it should be. If I don't want to bore people, I don't don't want to uh, take up more of your time than actually I can kind of interest you and just to to make a long video just for the sake of it that has not not never been my deal it's all about having um a story or a product or what not to show and uh, kind of try to make clear all the answers around that if that takes 7 minutes or 15 minutes it doesn't matter i choose to do it anyway And um, I see that uh, compared to the algorithms and YouTube and people telling uh, you should stick between those and those numbers for the best retention view and all that, uh, that is probably fine if you want to make a living out of it and you really want to uh, specialize in becoming as uh, good as you can in the business part of this. But for me, it's never been about money. It's never been about uh, trying to make a successful business out of it. It's just me uh, creating and uh, uh, exploring my passion and having the opportunity to put that out there and get the reviews and get the people enjoying it. So for me, it's uh, not about time. It's more about content, to be honest.
1: Your content is predominantly based in Norway. And <laughs> I guess that's no surprise. I get a lot of questions about that. So <laughs> but in terms of of your storytelling, does it actually help, do you think, that you you are Norwegian? In other words, do you think you have an advantage over other video filmmakers who might be coming to make similar type of videos in Norway? Is it your cultural understanding not not just your understanding knowledge of of the the geography et cetera et cetera of the country but but maybe your cultural understanding as well of what people will tolerate we We touched on this a little bit where you, you talked about how you've mm. done some some B roll and you know how you your approach to it it is the fact that you're norwegian is that? Is that a distinct advantage for you, do you think, in in your ability to, to make really good
0: videos? Uh, that's actually quite a good question. And I haven't been thinking too much about that, to be honest. Uh, I do think it's like a football team playing at home. You always have that advantage. And I, I do think it's like that for me as well, because I live in Norway. You know the culture, you know the geography and... Uh, uh, what comes over that valley you know where to go for to get a better footage for this or that or where the sun goes up and goes down you have a you have a little bit of better understanding of the orientation and what to look for and of course the seasons uh, how high the sun is on the sky compared to where, when to get the best lighting but i would not say that I have too much of an advantage. If you really know what you're doing, it doesn't matter where you're from. Uh, There's a lot of really great, talented um, YouTubers or filmmakers coming from other countries to Norway and make brilliant content. But of course, uh, one of the reasons I have been so much in Norway is that um, uh, I have a family life and I have work and uh, I thought when i started this journey that i would be traveling the world and uh, living the dream and whatnot but i see that my commitments to my family and my work is taking up a little bit of my time so uh, i'm trying to make the best of it uh, my dream is to get more into europe and maybe over to america down to the south america i have a lot of things on my bucket list and but life is such a dynamic thing you really just need to wing it and um, Yeah, make the best of it. And of course, being in Norway, you have so much great uh, nature. I can really make good travel videos in Norway, but uh, I would prefer to be traveling more into Europe or other countries as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, I I won't take a cheap shot at the flat, boring land of Sweden, which is just so close to you. Um.
0: Yeah, that is really hard to make good videos in Sweden. Jesus Christ, (laughs) you will see that in my next travel videos. Jesus.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) And you can't include it. I'm, I have no shame. I, I have two friends from Sweden and I know about it. It's just every time I see my videos, it's just like, damn, Norway. It's a cheat code. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: you've, um, you've also said that finding the right music for your videos is possibly one of the hardest aspects. Uh, why is that? And what stage of the production process do you select the music? Is it, is it before or after you've captured the video footage?
0: Oh, that depends, actually. Sometimes I'm, I, if I'm in, in a good mood or if I'm writing a script or I'm writing down ideas for upcoming videos, that list is starting to get long. I, I listen to music in the background, and every time I catch a good song, I save it for uh, and maybe into projects or whatnot, or I just download it to have for later references. But music is so in the, dependent on mood. Where you are in life, it's, if it's in the morning or if it's in the evening, and uh, if you are sad or happy. And after I started this video production stuff, uh, I really started to listen more to music. Before I was hearing music, now I'm listening to music because I really need to find music that play with the emotion of the viewer when they see the certain views or the certain footage that I put out. And then I get so many questions of, wow, why do I bring in music to the videos, you should just uh, have motorcycle engine noise and wind noise and that stuff. And people are missing the point. I do understand that some people really prefer that. And I can be fine with that. But for me and my production, I have a hard time not including music because music speaks to your soul. And if you can complement that with great footage, it will make a bigger impact on you and of course when do i pick the f- uh, the music sometimes i have a lot of footage that are sitting on my computer i kind of have the story and it takes me days to just get that one song to get going it's just crazy sometimes it can be really horrible and then everything is just going off. its like yeah
1: and in the audio space as well how important is it for you to capture ac- accurate sound and you know there's a lot of obsession on the internet with Capturing the hmm. correct tone of the motorcycle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What do you do? What What do you do practically to to address any challenges? And, and what's sort of been your your most successful approach to to capturing accurate sound?
0: I I did try to take a microphone into like this uh, the the, uh, the audio recorder Zoom H1 or N or what it's called. And I had a couple of uh, really professional audio stuff that I put in my back sack and I tried to ride around and I tried to use my horn on the bike to kind of know where to clip and not. But the process and the value of what I got back was so little and c- compared to how much work I put into it. And it just took away so much fun of riding. It just became too much work. If I, if I should do a shoot a commercial for a really for business or whatnot, I would put much more time into audio. But uh, most of the audio I record is from the microphone on the camera, not in built-in, but the shotgun mic. I have a Sennheiser shotgun mic on my Sony. And every time I pass or ride through uh, back or forth from my camera, it's the, that is the sound of the actual bike from that mic and i try to adjust it in the um, post-processing i try to um, sweeten it out a little bit but um yeah Uh, but the when i ride with the point of view you you really need to have engine sound there to kind of feel that you are there in a way you kind of make need to make it uh, honest or yeah so um uh, I find that I just if, if it's getting too much wind noise and that stuff, I just try to mute it down to a level where it doesn't get distracting. And I put on a little bit of music and I try to mix that in a good way so it doesn't become too uh, obnoxious to listen to. Because a bad audio experience ruins everything. And of course, I play a lot with sound effects, putting, building up a sound board around my videos as well. That is something I do. Because a drone doesn't have any sound <laughs> <laughs> exactly um this
1: may be just completely natural to you but but to me whether conscious or not you've made a decision to employ your voice or either using a, a voiceover or sometimes speaking mm. directly to camera and you arguably you don't need to do that it's it's a it's a it's a decision that you've made to do so so what's driving you mm. to to do that, either the voiceover or the speaking to camera?
0: I'm trying to make it real. I'm trying to get people to uh, know me or have a character to build a relationship to. Because in the beginning, I didn't do it because I had a really hard time talking to camera. I had a really hard time listening to myself talking English. And I stumbled across words. I was trying to be perfect. And every time I had to re- yeah, redo it. And it just became such a pain in the ass. But uh then I started to understand that there's a lot of people out there who share their stories. They're sending me emails, they're shan- sending me handwritten letters from that they can relate to m- me as a person and what I do and my interest. And then I started to see the power and impact of uh, being unique. It doesn't you and me can do the exact same thing. Same footage, same audio. But my voice is different from you. That makes us unique as person. And they most people need somebody they can relate to, not only beautiful footage. So that is something I pro- will probably do a little bit more of in the future as well. I'm, I will try to become more of a character in my own video without being a vlogger that goes talking around to the camera all the time.
1: Yeah, I think there are, there are ways to do it. I quite like the sequence you did when... Um you put your back out and you were in the middle of a trip. And, um, you know, you could have hidden that from everyone, but actually decided to talk about it a little bit. And and I don't think that mm. hurts because, like you say, people go, oh, yeah, it, it makes you you. It makes the video personal, uh, relatable. It gives a bit of story to it as well.
0: Yeah, because I'm I'm trying to make such high quality content as well. I really need to show the audience that there's not only sunshines and rainbows. There's a lot of hard times on the road. And I'm working as a firefighter. I'm, I'm really into mental health as well. I really think that is an important part of uh, everyone's life. And we really need to be much more involved in uh, all the mental issues that can go on. And I think that being on the road, it's such a uh, therapy session. And it clears your head, but still the emotion gets it. You get homesick, you miss your parents, or you miss your kids, or you miss whatnot. And I do think that the more honest and genuine you can be about that and show it off without it being too much to kind of people getting to feel sorry for you, but you need to include it to be more real or to be more authentic is the right word, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that because I I know it's it's we're not the first people to talk about it but but it's something that's come to me quite late in life this connection between mental health and motorcycling and just how many people out there say wow you know everyone's heard the joke about you'll never see a motorcycle parked outside a psychologist's or a, you know a therapist's yeah. office um that's been pushed back a little bit and 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 fair enough too but yeah, in my own life I've also discovered that that there's a, a massive connection for me between these two things. Yeah, you know, it's a whole other series of podcasts that maybe I might have to think about doing. Yeah. But it's it's a really, really interesting topic. Just a, a few more questions about production, post production. Roughly how long does it take to create each video, considering all the steps of, of production, pre-production, planning, <sighs> shooting, footage, editing, post-production? And let's let's talk about the the travel videos rather than the um the the other ones.
0: Oh, it takes ages. It can take ages. It's just like there's 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 no golden rule. There's no um sometimes everything just clicks and go by itself you get into a rhythm you get into creative flow and everything just uh, all the stars aligns a perfect world and sometimes it's just you need to go back you scratch everything you go back rebuild it you scratch everything and go over again so it um, it can take days it can take weeks it can even take months but um in most cases, it takes a couple of weeks in general to build a story, write down everything, find the correct music, sound effects, and build it into a, a 10 to 15-minute video.
1: And and of that total process, which part
0: do you enjoy the most and which part do you enjoy the least? <laughs> you know, I, I, I just... That is actually a really, really good question because I don't think I dislike any of it. I think that shows. I think that uh, many people have asked me throughout the years, what's my biggest passion? And I've always said motorcycling has been my biggest passion. But I do think that that's incorrect. I do think being a creator, sharing my adventure is even a bigger passion for me than motorcycling alone. So just being part of creating something, capture something, um, put it all together and show it off as a story for you to enjoy. is just incredible. It's just um, really incredible for me.
1: Do you think that... the the whole production process that occurs after the footage is gathered, it sort of, does it like extend the pleasure of the ride? Because I don't know if you... Oh, yeah, without a doubt. So Mm -hmm. like when I go on holiday, one of the things I love to do is to come back and just download all my photos and and save them somewhere and just to go through them again and look at them and and maybe use them for something later on. And I feel that Mm -hmm. extends my pleasure of of the holiday. It's like it wasn't just that two weeks I was away or whatever. It was like all that post-processing that I do later
0: yeah for me it's like that as well it's like you you reliving the story and you are able to kind of create your own uh i was there i was there enjoying the part of my vacation or my trip but now i can revisit the trip again remember everything all the small details and now i can put it all together and create an even better story than uh, I experienced myself in a way. So it's, yeah, it's quite unique. Uh, yeah, it, it truly is of the process.
1: You know, honestly speaking, what would you say is the part that you struggle most with of that pr- whole total production, you know, and what, which part are you most self-critical of, which part are you always, is it, is there any particular aspect that you're always looking to improve?
0: Yeah. Storytelling. Uh, uh, making a script uh, I really struggle uh, I can talk with you now with emotions I can really go up and down with my mo- voice everything sounds really n- natural but as soon as I write something down and I start to read from the screen it just gets really weird and awkward and that is one thing I'm really struggling to be better at so I started to listen to English podcasts or uh, shows on my radio and I tried to pause it and I say it out loud to myself in the car just to practice english better i'm becoming better I, I, when i'm riding my motorcycle i try to think in english as well every word i'm thinking is in english so just to kind of become better at this thing because um, the storytelling is so important and that is the one thing i struggle most with because it's like being a, and i actually <laughs> funny for the thing is that the, lately i've uh, I talked with a friend of mine here in Norway, and we've agreed on uh, next year I will try to write and read much more to become better at uh, creating visual storytelling. Okay. To see if that can make it spin further. Um, just a few questions about your your um, experience
1: with YouTube. Based on your feedback from YouTube viewers, what have you discovered works,
0: and, and what doesn't work? Oh. That is actually a good good question as well, because I, I I I really get a lot of positive feedback. I feel like a lot of people, if people are criticizing my work, they don't tell me in a way. So a lot of the feedback I get is really positive. And I always, uh, I have a saying on my wall that is one for you and one for me. So all my videos, I try to make one for what the audience expects for me. And one video is for me to kind of develop my creative skill or, so you can see some of my videos doesn't quite align when it comes to not only motorcycle, I have something from my cabin, I have something from other parts of my life uh, that I quite enjoy. So I always try to do uh, a slight variation of everything because i really want to develop my video and storytelling so um yeah one thing i've noticed is that you're a you know
1: a hardworking youtuber you're a diligent youtuber you're very conscientious about engaging with your subscribers people make comments and you mm. always sort of make some sort of comment back to them how much time there must be a lot of work how much time does that take Is it a lot of work
0: no, well, it's it, obviously if I would uh, rate it down in hours, but I think it's my goddamn uh, obligation to doing this because when people are taking their time, their free time to watch my content and giving me feedback on that, I think I it. Uh, it's a common courtesy for me to give something back, or just acknowledge that. Thank you for the comment. I appreciate it. I will see what I can do. It. it I think it's part of. If it's part of me being a Norwegian, or just me being a humble guy, I'm not sure. I just feel like. Uh, That is common courtesy for me, at least. I know that there will probably be a point where I I had to stop doing that because it takes too much time. But I try to, every morning I wake up, I take 15 minutes or uh, half an hour and I just try to write a comment. And um, every time I have um, free time or I procrastinate... Instead of taking push-ups on the floor to punish myself for uh, being lazy, I uh, sit down and I uh, answer a couple of comments, and then I go back to work again. So I, it's kind of it's in between everything else I do. So I try to be really conscious about that, giving back to everybody. Mm.
1: Okay, just some some final thoughts, um, Thomas. Uh, yeah. Does
0: does video or filmmaking get in the way of a decent ride? For many, yes. For me, absolutely not. For me, uh, I would not enjoy a motorcycle trip as much without my camera as I would with my camera. So I can understand for somebody, it is there become a hassle or a work or something they need to do. But... Uh, for me, it's not something I need to do. It's something I enjoy to do. And uh, motorcycling is the tool to get me out there making more content. Uh, but I don't need to make content. As you can see on my videos, I don't put out one every week. I, take, I put out a video when I, it's ready or I have something for the audience. And many times I have been on trips. I have filmed trips and enjoyed it, but they never come to YouTube. But I have it stored as a B-roll or as things I could look back on later. So for me, it's, um, it's not a hassle at all. For me, I relive a lot of the trips that I have done many times before, but uh, doing it with the camera makes it much more interesting.
1: Uh, and who in the video or filmmaking space do you particularly admire and who do you take inspiration from? and? If there's anyone out there, are they only in the, in the motorcycle filmmaking um, genre or are there are other genres that, that you like to take inspiration from as, as well?
0: I, I look to people that give me inspiration. It came everything from playing a piano, from creating woodwork in their yeah, basement. And of course, you have a couple of guys who are really good in the um, YouTube uh, space when it comes to motorcycle, like Adam Ryman in Australia. You have a guy called Brett Peterson. He is quite a small channel, but he has uh, been working in television or whatnot. He's really good in storytelling. And you have my two friends in Sweden, uh, Matthias and Robert. They they have been really good inspirational source for me. And... Um, there, there are actually quite a lot of people who inspire me. And Greg Villalubos in uh, England, he was one of the guys who made me start out this whole journey as well. He was one of the first really, uh, really great motorcycle travel videographer people. people. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of people. And it doesn't mean that you have to be popular or have a lot of... Um, followers to inspire me it's just like you have something unique you have an eye for a certain detail or you do something with passion that inspired me a lot
1: So, Thomas, thanks for being my guest on this episode of, of The Real Writers Podcast. Um, other than your YouTube channel, is there anywhere else people can find you online?
0: No, deleted everything. <laughs> it took too much time, so I, I just focus on YouTube because, um, uh, yeah, uh, there's so many people want to interact with me, tell me stories, share the stuff. and. Uh, I feel obligated to answer everyone. So it just took up too much time for me to interact with uh, too many social media platforms. And it kind of messed up my head a little bit. I want to focus on the creative part, not being one of the many influencers or what you want to call it. So, yeah. And I just want to say thank you for inviting me to this podcast. I always find it interesting to talk with new people and meet new people. And uh, yeah, great.
1: Super, thanks very much. That's it for this episode. I look forward to watching
0: more of your work as you post it to YouTube. Cheers. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you.